Welcome to You News, the podcast using the power of Univision to bring the news that matters to you in English. Today is Friday, August 20th. I'm Andrea Linares. These are today's headlines. All eyes on the president today. Joe Biden is updating the nation on the situation in Afghanistan and the chaotic evacuation of American citizens and their families. Nearly 3,000 people were airlifted in the last 24 hours, but officials are still desperately struggling to speed up the pace. Plus, as the Delta variant spreads across the country, more Americans are hospitalized today than at any point during the pandemic, 93,000 in total. The crisis deepening in the South, where states have some of the lowest vaccination rates. And a hurricane watch has been issued for Tropical Storm Henri as the system is heading toward New England. The storm is expected to begin affecting coastal areas in New York, Connecticut and Massachusetts on Sunday. This and much more today on U News, transmitting live from our newsroom in Miami. We begin with the dramatic situation in Afghanistan. President Biden is delivering remarks today on the chaotic evacuations out of the country. The president has been under intense scrutiny since the Taliban took control of the nation much faster than expected. Biden has said that the chaos that unfolded as part of the withdrawal was inevitable as the nearly 20-year war came to an end. The president and vice president Kamala Harris met this morning with their national security team for updates on this situation. This as reports of targeted killings by the Taliban are now mounting. Meanwhile, the desperation in Kabul is growing as thousands try to navigate Taliban-controlled checkpoints just to get to the airport for safe passage out of the country. The State Department reports as many as 6,000 people are at the Kabul airport. We are now learning that U.S. diplomats at the embassy reportedly warned the Secretary of State that the Afghan government was at risk of collapse. The urgency to escape Kabul intensifying, the U.S. and allies racing to evacuate tens of thousands of citizens and Afghan partners. Uh, yeah, I'm appealing uh, to the U.S. government, to President Biden, to please save me and my family. I'm the, I'm the Afghan interpreters who worked for your country. <laughs> you are leaving us here to die. The White House saying the U.S. evacuated 3,000 people yesterday, with many more cleared for departure. We intend to maximize each plane's capacity. We're prioritizing people above all else. Images from outside the airport show a country in chaos. Reports of at least 12 people killed since Sunday. Taliban fighters struggle to keep control using guns and batons against civilians. David Fox is still struggling to make it back stateside with his Afghan wife and three-year-old son. Right now, they're camped among the crowd at the Kabul airport. I actually got whacked with, um, you know, with one of these, like, you know, fan belts for not moving fast enough. The Pentagon says more than 5,200 U.S. troops are now there attempting to process more people faster. For me as a, as a father, I always have to risk, you know, I have to weigh the risks of these different options. So... To me, the, the airport is very dangerous. Defiant Afghans also taking to the streets, carrying their national flag through the capital on Thursday to mark the country's 1919 independence from British colonial rule. The Taliban seeks to replace the black, red and green Afghan national flag with their own white and black flag. 
Meanwhile, in Washington, more scrutiny of the Biden administration. U.S. diplomats at the embassy in Kabul reportedly sent a classified memo in July to top State Department leadership, including Secretary of State Antony Blinken, warning that the Afghan government was at risk of collapse from a Taliban takeover. We owed a better plan to our men and women uniforms. We owed all of them a better plan and our Afghan partners than, than this plan right now. President Biden continues to defend his decisions. Senators in Washington are getting a briefing on the situation in Afghanistan this afternoon. And now that the Taliban have seized most of Afghanistan, they're also in control of billions of dollars of American weapons and military gear that was meant for the Afghan army. According to a Reuters report, current and former U.S. officials are concerned the weapons could be used against civilians or to attack the U.S. The Taliban are now believed to be in control of 2,000 armored vehicles and up to 40 aircraft, including several Black Hawk helicopters and military drones. President Biden is said to be considering several options and, according to Reuters, officials have not ruled out launching airstrikes against the larger equipment. Now to the coronavirus emergency hospitals around the country enter full crisis mode. Alabama, for example, is out of ICU beds and pediatric hospitalizations now at their highest level since the pandemic began. Grecia Lastra has the latest. This morning, COVID hospitalizations hitting their highest point since January. Now nearly 93,000 patients seeking care. The crisis deepening in the South. In Alabama, ICUs are 100% full. We're experiencing wait times in the emergency room like we've never seen. They are waiting for hours and sometimes more than 24 hours in the emergency department so that they can move upstairs to get a bed. The number of children hospitalized with COVID now at its highest point since the pandemic began. And images like these emerging, a Navy medical support team arriving to assist Louisiana hospitals, where teams are overworked and understaffed. But as help arrives to deal with the influx of COVID patients, mask battles erupting. This chaotic meeting in front of a statewide board of education in Louisiana cut short. Madam President, yes. due to the fact that the audience has ignored the request to wear masks, I move that we adjourn the meeting. The motion passes. An ER physician pleading with parents at a school board meeting in Alabama. If you're not scared of COVID, you need to be scared of your hospital system collapsing because right now I can't take care of your families the way we need to take care of your families. In Hillsborough County, Florida, where more than 12,000 students and staff were quarantined Thursday, the school board voting on a 30-day mask mandate despite the governor's ban. If it saves one life, 10 hospitalizations, isn't that the least that we can do? And in Texas, where hospital workers are desperate. Today was probably the most emotionally, mentally and physically draining shift I've worked. Overnight, Texas dropping its enforcement of Governor Abbott's ban on school mask mandates after a Supreme Court ruling upheld one district's restraining order. A big win for dozens of major school districts in the state, which have been defying the governor. And others like Texas City, which had attempted to get around the rule by making masks part of the school uniform. Uniform. I understand that people want to make choices for themselves, but we also have a responsibility as a district 
to take care of our children when they are in our care. This is Grecia Lastra reporting for U News. Three more U.S. senators have tested positive for the coronavirus. Senators Angus King and Roger Wicker announced their COVID-19 diagnosis on Thursday. King says he tested positive after he began feeling mildly feverish Wednesday. The main independent is now quarantining at home and notifying people he had contact with to get tested. Wicker says he is also isolating after feeling some mild symptoms. Both senators are fully vaccinated. Senator John Hickenlooper of Colorado also said Thursday he's tested positive after being vaccinated. More people are getting vaccinated against COVID-19, but hospitalizations are on the rise. Hospitalization rates for people under 50 are setting new records. The biggest jump is with people 30 to 39 and kids under 18. The CDC says those rates are up more than 30% higher than their previous peak in early January, but only about half the population is fully vaccinated and there's still no approved vaccine for kids under the age of 12. With the school year starting, President Biden has asked his education secretary to use his authority or even legal action against governors standing in the way of school officials. Close to six in 10 Americans say they favor requiring people to be fully vaccinated against COVID-19 to travel on an airplane or attend crowded public events. This according to a poll from the Associated Press Nork Center for Public Affairs Research. Roughly six in 10 also support vaccine mandates for hospital or other healthcare workers, along with government employees, members of the military and workers who interact with the public, such as in restaurants and stores. Support is slightly lower for requiring vaccinations to go out to a bar or restaurant, though more are in favor than opposed 51% to 28%. On Wednesday, the Biden administration announced plans to roll out COVID vaccine booster shots in late September in the latest nationwide effort to combat the surging Delta variant. Joining us now to discuss those plans is Dr. Elon Shapiro. He's the medical director for health education and wellness at AltaMed. Welcome back to you news, doctor. It's great to have you. Thank you so much, Andrea. So what is the argument for this concentrated push for booster shots now? We started to see information from Israel and other European countries where a lot of the, the data that we were seeing from Pfizer, um, and they are measuring how many antibodies uh, are protecting our, our people. And we have started to see after six to eight months a decrease on those protective antibodies. That means that a lot of patients that have uh, problems with autoimmunity, problems with transplants or chronic diseases were more um, getting harmed and actually ending up in hospitals. That's why they started evaluating if we needed a booster shot or not to remind our bodies how to defend ourselves. Now, these boosters are being pushed for people who receive the Pfizer or Moderna vaccines. But what about those who receive the Johnson & Johnson vaccine? Andrea, it was kind of a welcoming question because a lot of people went like, OK, well, I got the one shot. I'm done. Johnson & Johnson. What's next? The reality is that Pfizer and Moderna started recollecting and actually getting the FDA approval before Johnson & Johnson. Then we do not have the entire data set or information from Johnson & Johnson. Maybe that will change in a couple of weeks, maybe a month. But when we have that data set to see, you know, if the antibodies that we have are going down, that could be helpful for everybody. But right now, 
the, the conversation that the FDA, CDC, and everybody's having is only for Moderna or Pfizer. Very important. So if you got the J&J, hold off for now. Some experts are now questioning the Biden administration's push for boosters, saying the evidence doesn't justify the rollout plan in September, pointing to a need for more data. And they also worry that this push that we are seeing could undermine messaging that vaccines are not as effective as previously thought. So what do you make of those comments? It's extremely important to remember that the vaccines that we have right now, they work like a seatbelt. They are in use in case of emergency. That's why whenever we get vaccinated and we get, you know, COVID, the idea of it is not to end up on the hospital and most importantly with the horrible complications that we have seen. And that's why we need the vaccines. Uh, of course, you know, right now that we have a certain uh, you know, amount of population right now that hasn't been vaccinated and the other one uh, go, <laughs> we were like, okay, next, a third dose. There will be a lot of questions, but most importantly, we need to remember that this is new for everybody. Uh, we, this is the first year that we actually have vaccines and data. Then we are going to be learning, all of us, but make sure that and take note of this, that getting the vaccine is the safest way to stay away from the hospital. And now let's go ahead and turn to schools. Altamed has results on a new survey on the impact of COVID-19 on education in Southeast LA, which is a predominantly working class Latino and black area. Talk to us about those findings. Sadly, during the pandemic, the social determinants of health in our community have been horribly impacted. And right now we are extremely worried uh, on going back to school. Why? Because a lot of the community didn't have internet, didn't have a lot of the tools and educational stuff. And right now that we're going back to school, those differences can be amplified. Um, you know, breathing levels, uh, the, 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 you know, the one-to-one -one coaching for our kids, and that can be carried for years. And we are, need to right now uh, mimic and give all the tools that we can to our communities in order to, you know, advance. Always a great conversation. Thank you so much, Dr. Elon Shapiro of Altamed in Los Angeles. Take care. And now to Washington, D.C., where new details are emerging about the man who claimed to have a bomb near Capitol Hill. He surrendered after an hours-long standoff, but not before taking to Facebook Live. Edwin Pitti has the latest details from Washington, D.C. Edwin. Andrea, the suspect 49-year-old Floyd Ray Rosberry from North Carolina is currently in custody and will be facing charges. Rosberry engaged the Capitol Police, D.C. Police and the FBI in a standoff after driving onto the sidewalk of the front of the Library of Congress. He allegedly said he had a bomb and showed the officers what looked like a detonator. The situation created chaos and multiple buildings were evacuated. Despite authorities not announcing a motive yet, Rosberry had posted several Facebook videos while being in his truck. He called for all Democrats, including President Joe Biden, to step down and also express frustration for the situation in Afghanistan. He repeatedly talked about a revolution while holding a canister he said was a bomb. After the Trump supporters surrendered, five hours after going back and forth with police, authorities searched his truck and didn't find any explosive. But the man, the man had possible bomb-making material. According to the police, Rosberry doesn't have a serious criminal history in North Carolina and had some issues he was dealing with, including the apparent recent death of his mother. 
The Capitol Police is taking all of these threats seriously, especially because there is a protest scheduled for, for September 18, where thousands of Trump supporters will come to D.C. to claim justice for those who participated in the January 6th insurrection in the Capitol, and they fear it could become a violent protest. Reporting in Washington, back to you, Andrea. The Justice Department released a new videos Thursday after several news outlets sued for access. The clips were captured by Capitol surveillance footage. This one shows U.S. Capitol Police officers trying to quickly lock the doors to the Senate gallery. But pro-Trump rioters fought their way into the chamber and the officers retreated. Many of the rioters have been charged with felonies for disrupting congressional proceedings and trespassing. And a new information from the 2020 census, the Native American population has grown to its largest size in generations. They now make up nearly 3% of all the people living in the United States. In 2020, the number of people who identified as Native American and Alaska Native was nearly 10 million. That's up more than 5 million from 2010. The jump comes after several groups launched efforts to achieve an accurate count for the 2020 census. And the U.S. Department of Education is canceling student loan debt for borrowers with severe disability. It says it's waiving $5.8 billion total for more than 300,000 people. Ingrid Rojas has this report. President Biden's decision to forgive student debt for over 300,000 Americans with severe disabilities that prevent them from earning significant income was applauded by many. Sí era y es urgente este cambio. Las comunidades con discapacidades Yes, this change was and is urgent. Communities with disabilities were disproportionately affected by the economic and health consequences of the pandemic. The decision wipes out more than $5.8 billion in debt for those individuals. We have heard loud and clear from debtors with disabilities and their advocates about the need for this change, and we are excited to implement it. Eliana Tardio is an advocate for these issues. She has two children with disabilities. Good morning, Emir. Emir, 17 years old, is a high school student. Yaya, your hand. And Yaya, 14 years old, is in middle school. Eliana says that this is a form of protection for those who have studied, study, and will study because it will allow them to be better equipped to face economic challenges. It is a protection that all citizens need to be celebrated because disability is natural. And just as today, we may find ourselves perhaps with all our abilities and skills. At some point, given specific circumstances, we may need this protection. The measure is for those who are totally and permanently disabled and can demonstrate that they have limited income. Reported by Pablo Gato, Ingrid Rojas for U News. A federal appellate court in Texas is forcing the Biden administration to restart implementation of the Remain in Mexico policy. The Trump-era policy forces thousands to wait in Mexico while seeking asylum in the U.S. President Biden had suspended the policy on his first day in office, but after a lawsuit from the states of Texas and Missouri, a federal judge last week ordered that the program be reinstated Saturday. The ruling affects thousands of asylum seekers with active cases who were subject to the Remain in Mexico program. 
And good news for immigrants seeking to normalize their status in the U.S. More than 60,000 people whose permanent visa application were rejected for minor omissions, like perhaps leaving a blank space in the form, now have until July of 2022 to submit a new application. Ana de Mendoza explains. A victory in court will benefit more than 60,000 people who had their applications for immigration benefits rejected by the U.S. Citizenship and Immigration Services. They will now be able to submit new applications. The previous administration applied a policy of rejecting many applications that had blank spaces. This affected mostly people who had been victims of domestic violence and were applying for asylum. The decision comes after a judge approved a settlement between USCIS and immigrants who filed a lawsuit in a California court challenging the agent's adopted policy. The new policy of this administration is that these individuals will be able to resubmit these applications before July 2022. Individuals who have resubmitted these forms prior to the effective date of this settlement agreement, July 2021, may also submit documentation on or before July 2022 to obtain a dated receipt. According to the legal complaint, under the previous regulations, many applications were rejected when the person left some questions unanswered, even when these did not correspond to that case. For example, when the applicant did not include a middle name because he or she did not have a middle name. Reported by Danay Rivero in Miami, Ana de Mendoza, U News. Hundreds of Central American migrants, many families with young children, continue taking their chances at the U.S.-Mexico border despite massive and unrelenting deportations. Mexican shelters are at capacity, mostly with Honduran migrants fleeing conditions back at home. Jorge Hernandez has this report. The deportations of Central Americans to Guatemala are not discouraging new migrants who insist on continuing their journey to reach the United States. We don't know if we're going to make it or die, but we always try to get there. In the border area of Tenosique, Tabasco and Palenque, Chiapas, the shelters are so full of migrants that some have to camp out in the middle of the street. We sleep here for two or three days. I have been here for a month. This nun in charge of the shelter in Palenque says that in the last three weeks, too many migrants have arrived. Does it seem to be decreasing? No, and I don't know what message they gave them in the United States that they're going to give the family something and they are going to take care of them. The vast majority of the young migrants are Honduran nationals. And the same thing is happening in Tenosique, Tabasco. Here, there are about 200 migrants camping outside the shelter. Inside, because of the pandemic, there is room for only 150, according to the person in charge of distributing food in the afternoons. We can't provide them with a space inside because we don't have it due to COVID issues. So one way to help them is to provide them with some food. This family of Hondurans has been here for several days waiting for a humanitarian visa to cross legally into Mexico. They want to get to the United States in spite of the massive deportations. You see how much we sacrificed to get here and they, they send you back. Imagine, does this discourage you or do you still have plans? No, I am continuing with my plans. Nobody here believes that this problem will diminish soon and the majority of those who pass through here prefer to believe that they will be able to stay in the United States. Reported by Pedro Ultreras in Palenque, Chiapas, this is Jorge Hernandez, U News.
More of you news after this short break. Imagine a daily newscast that speaks to you about your world in plain English. Each weekday, we partner with Hispanic America's most trusted news source to bring you the stories from home and abroad that matter to you. The effects of COVID-19 will be felt for decades to come. Both parties are very far apart. Approximately 250,000 people have lost their lives. You News covers the news of your world and makes it easy to understand. Your world, your news. You News on Fusion. Welcome back to You News. New sanctions for Cuban officials involved in the violent crackdown of protests are coming. The announcement was made by the Secretary of Homeland Security, Alejandro Mayorkas, during a visit to Miami on Thursday. The Secretary also addressed a leak audio in which he was caught telling border agents the current border crisis is, quote, unsustainable. Genesis Vieira explains. The closed-doors meeting with Cuban-American exiles in Miami lasted two hours. U.S. Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas said that important topics were being discussed, including Internet access in Cuba. I don't want to get ahead of the plans that we will uh, that we will implement. We understand the importance of communication. We understand uh, the importance of access. Um, and so I don't want to get uh, ahead of things. Mallorca has also announced that the United States will impose new sanctions on officials involved in the repression of anti-government protests. According to Mallorca's, the decisions made by the Biden administration regarding Cuba will always be made in the consultation with Cuban Americans. The focus, he says, will be on bringing change to the island. Because they do not want to leave their home. They want liberty and freedom in Cuba, their home, just as my father did for my family. We took the opportunity to ask him about the southern U.S. border and some conversations that were recently leaked between him and U.S. Border Patrol officials in which he sounded a bit discouraged about the complex situation there. A couple of days ago I was down in Mexico and I said, look, uh, you know, if, uh, if our border is the first line of defense, uh, we're going to lose and this is unsustainable. Uh, we can't continue like this. Uh, our people in the field can't continue and our system isn't built for it. So they've got to step up their interdictions, not just uh, on the northern side of the border, uh, but down south. I was misquoted. Uh, what I communicated quite clearly is that the United States is not al alone in this effort, uh, that we are working with our partners in Mexico and in the Northern Triangle with Guatemala, Honduras and El Salvador uh, to address the issue uh, of irregular migration. Mallorca's visit to Miami also included a meeting with the members of the Haitian diaspora to discuss the response of the United States to the August 14th earthquake and the political crisis provoked by the assassination of Haiti's president last month. Reported by Lourdes El Rio in Miami, Genesis Vieira for U News. Also in Cuba, a judge has sentenced a leading dissident, Jose Daniel Ferrer, to four years in prison, revoking his right to home detention. He was arrested in July as he attempted to join an anti-government protest in Santiago de Cuba. Ferrer, who is the leader of Cuba's opposition group Patriotic Union of Cuba, was also arrested in October of 2019 on charges of abducting and assaulting a man. He was sentenced to four and a half years in prison in February of 2020, but the sentence was commuted to house arrest under international pressure. A Colombian alleged drug trafficker was detained Wednesday 
just as he was preparing to walk to the altar to get married. Luis Santana, also known by the alias of Machete, is believed to be a key operator in the Colombian Clan del Golfo drug cartel. The 24-year-old Santana had been wanted since 2017, but managed to escape arrest on several occasions. He was identified in a small town to local church and later apprehended. Santana is now awaiting trial. Foreign aid slowly trickled into more rural areas of southwestern Haiti on Thursday, arriving days after a major earthquake that killed more than 2,100 people and reduced tens of thousands of buildings to rubble. Hundreds of people lined up to receive provisions from the UN World Food Program in the rural town of Camp Perrin for people displaced by Saturday's 7.2 magnitude quake. Haiti is the poorest country in the Americas and is still recovering from a 2010 quake that killed over 200,000. Mexico is battling a new wave of coronavirus infections as daily cases hit record highs and the official death toll passed 250,000, one of the highest worldwide. Health authorities on Wednesday reported nearly 29,000 new cases, Mexico's highest daily total since the pandemic began. Thanks for listening to You News, the podcast. Don't forget to follow You News on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And if you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review. 